Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM. This is the Snark Factor. I am Fingers Malloy, and we are recording the show this week at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C., CPAC 2020. Sarah Smith is joining us here at the wham table hello everyone we're, we're in person we yeah. get to see each other face to face yeah this is strange because we do the show normally in two different studios mm-hmm. but to be able to do this uh together like this is it, it's really cool so right. we it's it's been a chaotic situation here we were supposed to start about an hour ago but uh, mike pence was speaking the vice president, Sarah, as you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Vice president. Oh, Mike, Mike Pence had spoken. That was the worst part. Mike Pence had spoken. The speech was done. Yeah. And so we were we were locked out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just a situation where we were locked out for a half an hour. They locked this place down for over three hours. So if you were inside, that was great. And you could stay in. Uh, if you were outside, no one was allowed in. No one. So Un- Unless you are uh, Michael Knowles of Daily Wire, who uh, for somehow, I don't know if they slipped the money. I don't know what happened. But he was like, were you there for this part? Yeah. yeah. He had like six of his security detail got to go right up the stairs. Well, good for him. Isn't that special? Right. So this is what we're doing. We have a bunch of interviews set up. Uh, and we are going to bring people in, bring people out. We've got people from Town Hall that will be here. Uh, you, you're, you're familiar with the town hall. I'm familiar with the town hall. Yeah, about PJ Media. The town uh, hall, the red state. Right. The umbrella. Yes. The town so, hall umbrella. Some of our favorite people mm-hmm. uh, will be here to talk about what's happening on the Democratic side with the primaries, what's happening here at CPAC. Uh, lots of great conversation coming up, and what, we're just going to fade in and out of the interviews. So sit back and enjoy our coverage of CPAC 2020. Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM. This is the Snark Factor. I'm Fingers Malloy. We're at CPAC 2020. Trump got handed a victory today in his sanctuary city fight. Uh, a federal appeals court on Wednesday, it's actually yesterday, we're recording on Thursday, handed a major win to the Trump administration in its fight against sanctuary cities. The second court of appeals in New York overturned a lower court ruling that stopped the administration's 2017 move to withhold grant money from the Edwin Byrne Memorial Justice Assistance Grant Program. Today's decision rightfully recognizes the lawful authority of the Attorney General to ensure the Department of Justice grant recipients are not at the same time thwarting federal law enforcement priorities. Kurt Schlichter from Town Hall joins us. Kurt, you are based in Los Angeles. Talk to me a little bit about California, sanctuary cities specifically, and the kind of things you guys deal with out there. Oh, it's just a living hell. It's, you know, it's California. You know, the streets are covered with human dung. (laughs) You know, there are punji sticks of little hypodermic needles everywhere. Our governor's an idiot. Our legislature's full of communists. He makes it sound like it's a paradise, your governor. It is for me. I'm a lawyer. I drive a BMW. I live by the beach. You think scumbags get in my neighborhood? Huh. Everything's fine for me. Right. I do great. And I'm going to stay in California because I can shear the sheep and make a ton of money lawyering because of the stupidity of California. So if you want to make guys like me richer, and I'm all for it, 
keep doing these things. Mm. If you'd like your life to not be a living hell, if you'd like your kids to be able to read, if you'd like to be able to not have your car stolen, well, then maybe you ought to rethink it. But don't do it on my account because your stupid choices are making me money. Ka-ching! <laughs> but it, there, there's just this huge separation between yeah, it's a these... feudal, it's a feudal system. Yeah, there are the overlords. I'm an overlord, and there's everybody else, and everybody else complains. But then I don't care because they elected these people. If you're going to be stupid, you should suffer. I'm not going to suffer because they're giving me stuff. Yeah. What dummies? Such dummies. Well, I. For people who live outside of California, we hear about what it's like, but to, to truly be there, I mean, there, I've seen people do really good work, like our friend Larry O'Connor, yeah. going through Los Angeles and highlighting the homeless problem yeah. in, in California. Talk a little bit about that and how homelessness has just kind of exploded in the last, what, 10, 15 years out there? Well, I'll, I'll have to walk from a parking lot into a courthouse and I'll pass, you know, 40 bums. Um, and and their toilet that is you know the sidewalk, <laughs> but you know Californians choose to live that way. I, I wish I could get upset about it, but if you're stupid, you should have bad things happen to you. They're not going to really affect me much, and they don't affect you know a lot of the you know the tech overlords and the people in Bel Air and Santa Monica. You know, they don't have a problem. It's a feudal system. There's a small group of people who do fine. Yeah. And everybody else is miserable. But oddly enough, the miserable people choose to perpetuate their misery. Their stupidity must be punished. And it's going to be. Well, are you seeing any movement to the right in California? I, I'm seeing, you know, Kira Davis is, is standing by. We're going to talk to her in a little bit. She's been leading the fight against uh, AB5 out there. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you seeing people kind of stepping back and, and rethinking whether they're no. going to continue to vote. No, they, they they dislike a specific thing. Oh, AB5 is a bad idea, but all the other communist stuff is fine. Right. And, you know, again, you guys brought this on yourselves. I can't, I mean, it's not going to be a problem for somebody like me. Right. It just isn't. And you guys, I just, I, I it's hard to express how stupid this is. And how against their own interests. But they're grown-up people. And if they want to help me get a nice new BMW, which I'm getting in a month, then that's fine. Right. I, I, I mean, but don't cry to me. Well, a kid can't read. Well, maybe you shouldn't have elected a Democrat. Well, my, I, I got hit by a car and it was uninsured motorist illegal alien. Well, don't vote Democrat. Right. Well, you know, I can't perform as a man. Well, don't be never Trump. You know, it's, it, 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 it's you know... Well, we were talking about this, and you brought it up, and I wanted to talk to you about the what whatever is left of this Never Trump movement, if you can call it that. Bow uh, movement. <laughs> these are these are losers. I mean, they're just losers. You Total look losers. At, you look at them; they couldn't do a push-up. <laughs> you know, if you're mean to them, they cry. Their idea of diversity is various kinds of pale, pasty white people. Um, they all went to the same, cra- uh, uh, you know, overpraised college. And I went to Yale. Really? I made out with hot chicks <laughs> when I went to, actually, I went to UC San Diego, which is arguably a top ten college. You dumb weasels. 
See, the thing is, I, I don't respect them because I have the credentials they allegedly respect, mm -hmm. and I reject everything they do, and I'm better, and my wife is hot. Well, this is, <clears throat> this is what I find hilarious about this because I've heard <clears throat> a lot of these people talk about how anyone on the right who called themselves conservatives, if they decided to hold their nose at some of the things that Trump does and go along with it, they, they've sold out. Oh, they're, they're sellouts. They're sellouts as if we haven't made the same well, decision well, when, before. When, you know, well, you know, in, in the world of adults, we make choices. Uh, I choose not to take money from liberal tech billionaires to help Democrats win. That's what choice I make. Um, I also choose not to allow my gardener to make out with my wife while I watch. Um, I make choices, different choices than them. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, these ineffectual, impotent losers uh, who've never done anything. I mean, they have no, I've never encountered a group of people with so much attitude, with so little to base it on. I mean, if they were awesome, you know... Right. Well, you know, I was in the military. That's my silver star. I, uh, you know, after I, uh, you know, started up a multi-million dollar company, and then, you know, I, I cured cancer. You know, I mean, if they had a track record of achievement, right? I would be, you know, I mean, okay, you're you're, you're a weenie, but you know, I mean, you're not a complete loser. What have they done? What, literally, what has Bill Crystal done besides trade off his father's name and terrify carbs? You know, across the D.C. New York corridor. I mean, what, what, what's his name? Well, I founded the Weekly Standard. Oh, that's like saying, "Hey, I was the typhoid Mary of gonorrhea." Gonorrhea, you know, it's not. It's not a. I mean, it's not an achievement. What have they done? What has David Frum done? You know, I mean, who is this guy? David Brooks? I write in the New York Times. Oh, yeah. It's like congratulations. Yeah. I don't know what to say. You know, somebody, somebody's got to be always got to be the gimp in the giant pawn shop that is never Trumpism. Right, right. You know, you can either be Zed or you can be the gimp. I don't think there is a Zed. I think they're all in the box, all in the vinyl. I mean, they're just, they're just so lame. Yeah. And people are like, well, if you, if we're so unimportant, why do you pay attention to us? Because human nature. Because I, I know human beings, unlike these. You know, shut-in weirdos um, despise traitors. I, I a, a liberal doesn't offend me the same way a never Trumper does. A liberal just okay, he's just wrong, and I you know I'll defeat him. But I, 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 I you know, normal human beings despise traitors. These guys revel in treachery, and but it's not just treachery. It's you know, active submission. No. They want to be at the kitty table at the dinner party of liberalism. They want some scraps. Here's your, here's your, we're having filet mignon. You can have some McNuggets. Well, the thing is, they have been consistently wrong. They have been never right about a single thing. And yet they have this amazing amount of attitude as if they were accomplished, competent people. But they're not. They're losers. They're weirdos, losers, and mutations. I mean, <laughs> you know, I... I I don't know what to say about them. I mean, I mean, it just it just every once in a while I just get alarmed thinking about their browser histories. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, they're just losers, and it's fun to make fun of them. I, I did in a uh, town hall column uh, of uh, Thursday, the twenty seventh of February. What was it? Uh, Never Trump losers have uh, a meeting or something for some reason. 
and I just <laughs> went downhill from there. I tried to keep it FCC compliant. Well, we got to wrap things up, Kurt. Please let everyone know where they can find all your stuff. You're, you're a podcaster now. I know. I, I podcast at uh, uh, Salem. I do a free one for uh, Hugh Hewitt. I do one for uh, Behind the Town Hall VIP. I'm doing town halls for free on Monday and Thursday, and I do a special VIP one on Wednesday. And uh, get my books. Bill Crystal hailed my books as appalling. <laughs> appalling? Yes. Oh, by which come he meant. On. Yeah. He by by which he meant. Oh, somebody actually read your books. <laughs> Quick, name a book oh. by Bill Crystal. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Fifty Shades weekly, of Wayne. The Weekly Standard. <laughs> Ahoy! Ahoy! <laughs> we'll be safe in California now. You guys have the coronavirus there, so. Eh, we'll be fine. That's what I think. So we'll too. all be fine. More of our coverage of CPAC 2020 right after this. Need more fingers in your life? I bet you do. Find fingers on Twitter at twitter.com slash fingers Malloy. Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM to Snark Factor. I'm Fingers Malloy along with Sarah Smith. We are at... CPAC 2020, and one of the head honchos over at Red State is joining us right now, a good friend of ours, Kira Davis. Hello, Kira. Hi, fingers. It's so good to be here. It's so good to have you here. Yep. You have been leading the charge against AB5 in California. Yes, Tell man. people about this, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, we're here in, in Michigan, they think, oh, that's a California problem. No, my friend. I wish it was. So AB5 is otherwise known as the gig economy bill. And what it does is it kills independent contracting. So uh, it was meant to get at Uber and Lyft. But in the end, it basically outlaws your side jobs. That's to put it in a nutshell. If you are a nurse and you contract with a, a hospice, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you do writing on the side or you're a photographer on the side, these are jobs you can no longer 1099 for. You're either somebody's employee or you're out of a job. So it came down uh, January 1st. People were grossly upset. I know, Fingers, that you've been watching me rage yes. on Twitter and Facebook. And I try to retweet every time I see <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and Rightfully I'm, so. Yeah, raging. I'm sorry to be so one note, but it, no. it has killed our jobs. Like, even my job, I'm working, but I'm working at half the pay that I was working for a month ago. Mm. And that's because in order to get around this law, I've had to set up a business which now I'm an employee of myself. So joy of joys, I get to pay California taxes twice as a business owner and as an employee. So my income has been halved, and I'm one of the lucky ones. We thought when this bill came down, it would put 250,000 con independent contractors out of work. That's what we were estimating. Uh, initial numbers have come in, and it's 1.1 million. So... In Michigan land, which I love Michigan. It's one of my uh, uh, favorite vacation states. My husband and I honeymoon there. And I, I love y'all. And y'all might be out there saying, well, this is you crazy Californians, you know, the left coast. But here, I got some news for you. H.R. 2474 is a congressional bill. It's also known as the PRO Act, P-R-O, has passed the House. The PRO Act is the federal version of AB5. Y'all didn't even know, did you? Yeah, no one told you. No one alerted you. Your representatives didn't say anything. But this is the federal version of AB5. So if you're in Michigan and you have a side job or your wife has a side, maybe you have a good job, you know, and your wife has a side job bringing in extra cash, 
if this bill goes federal, your wife will no longer be able to have that job. It will be against the law for you to contract independently with anyone for any reason. So that bill has passed the House and it now sits in the Senate. Well, we're lucky that the Senate is Republican controlled. And Donald Trump did put out a press release last week that said if the bill makes it to his desk, he will veto it. Good. But this is how he knows. See, even Donald Trump knows that this is out there. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll, he'll veto it, but just wait till Senator, uh, President Sanders this gets This is in what there. I'm saying. <laughs> Vote accordingly. Here's right. the other interesting thing, Fingers, that's happening in California that I think your listeners would be interested to know. Um, I have never seen so many Democrats who have said we're going to cross the aisle and vote Republican this cycle, not just for AB5, like not just for our local politicians, but for Trump. Because if it gets past the Senate, Trump's the last man standing. So they're going to hold their nose and vote for Trump. I don't know. I I hate to always sound overly optimistic, but I think Trump has a chance to flip California. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something I, else? I, it's still, I'm not I'm not saying it's a huge chance. No. But, it, but it's a chance that never existed before. At, at the, right. The fact that it's even a possibility. Yeah. At the is, very least, if he can go to California, have rallies, divert yep. some of yes. the Democrats' resources yes. in California, that would, that would be important. Over the past few decades, the union movement has gotten considerably weaker. Union membership yes. is down. But their influence... Mm-hmm. In state houses and on the federal, is still it's still outsized, and, yeah. and this is who is pushing yes. this. Is. Because what will happen is if you can't 1099, and, and by the way, the bill's architect is a woman named Lorena Gonzalez. She represents San Diego in their 80th district. She is a union representative, and proudly so. This is not salacious talk. She you, she admits it. Um, and she also admits that the goal is to push everyone into W-2 work so that everyone can get pushed into a union. That's her goal. L- Look, unions have done great things for people over the years. Not anti-union. You and I both know people who work for unions (laughs) who make good livings and are good, honest people. It's not about unions. It's about your choice to decide how you want to work. And if you don't want to be W-2'd, it's not helpful to get W... The the stories from the fallout. I'll give you one quick example before we move on. Um, a woman posted today. She said, I, I am a stay-at-home mom, I have a disabled child, and I am a freelance writer. I make $3,000 a month that has helped me to feed my kid. Well, now I have to go into W-2 employment because my side gig's illegal and child care's $3,000 a month. Wow. So I can't be a stay-at-home mom. I've got to go get a job. Right. So Unreal. It, it, no, it, it's, it's appalling and- what's going on. And... What I'm surprised with is you said that this particular representative is out of San Diego. It's supposed to be one of the more conservative areas of California, is it not? So, no, 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 not really. San Diego's a big union town, and all the artists are down there. And Okay. Yeah, I'm in Orange County, and we're the conservative stalwart. I'll tell you guys this. For those of you who have never been to California don't understand California, to be honest, most of California is conservative. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's We have the same problem that the country has, which is the coasts. It's like three cities that run the country, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, thank God, for the Electoral College. It's the same in California. There's San Francisco, there's L.A., and there's San Diego. And then the rest of the people are conservative. But they can't outvote the million. You know, L.A. and San Francisco are the most populous cities in the nation. They can't outvote them. 
So that's what we're struggling with. And they're full of artists that want that vote for that interest because mm-hmm. they think that when they vote for the left, they're going right. to give them the, but the oh, I don't have to work at a Walmart. I'll be able to stay home and work on my art because that the is, Democrats are going to pay for my health care. That is oh. the, the most beautiful irony of this bill is that it has put artists out of work and right. that was their mistake because once the artists the artists were like oh lyft uber oh yeah screw you guys whatever right. soon as they woke up on january 1st and realized oh i can't take that gig playing at the wedding i can't take that gig playing piano at you know accompanying my daughter's you know um concert then they were like, wait a second, this is, I, I vote, and these are all Democrat voters. I Absolutely. voted for you. Mm-hmm. I, right. I love you. And you're telling me, basically, I'm helping you. Right. By, you know, you can't work. Taking away your livelihood. Yeah. Right. So one, and the artists are the storytellers. Mm-hmm. So once the artists got involved, we've started telling stories. Media has not gone away. It's only picked up. Repeal bill was on the floor today. It was defeated, but we expected that. So now we get to say, well, look, this is what these people think of you. This is so moving well, into and November. That's, that's right. where people don't realize, like you said, it was this it felt like it was an attack on Uber and Lyft and a lot of these people. Yeah. But when you're seeing manicurists, yeah, hair yeah. dressers. They, they still call them hairdressers. Catering cosmetologists. There you go. Sound like an old man. I'm going to go to the hairdresser and pay with my charge plate. My grandma goes to the hairdresser. How many actors, how many um, aspiring actors make their living working part time, cater waitering, or like whatever it is, not even having a job at a restaurant? Like puts the catering industry out of business. Out of business. Puts the wedding planning out of business. And you may say this is ridiculous. Right. Go to ab5facts.com. ab5facts.com. You'll see all of the... Here's Mm -hmm. another thing that that is so crazy. I went to a meeting um, with a a local representative. A man came in who said, "I I have run a children's theater for 30 years. We contract with public schools. We go in and we do plays for the public schools and they're like cultural plays. So they're all about like different minorities in California that have contributed to California. He, he, I, I'm a liberal Democrat. I have done this for 30 years, and I had to cancel my contract with the public schools because I cannot operate under AB5. Unreal. After 30 years, I'm going to have to close my theater. That's where we're at. Wow. And it could go federal. Could go federal. Listen. It Kira, could go federal. It could go federal. HB2. HR2474, the PRO Act. Kira, where, where can everyone find your work? You can find me at, at Real Kira Davis on Twitter and go to ab5thenumber5facts.com. Kira Davis, thank you so much. Thank you. More from CPAC right after this. Hi, this is Monica Crowley, and you are listening to The Snark Factor with Fingers Malloy. Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM. I'm Fingers Malloy, and we are, well, live on tape. It's Friday afternoon at the Conservative Political Action Conference 2020 in Washington, D.C. Joining us right now at the Wham Talk 1600 table is Aaron With. He is the National Director of the Freedom Foundation. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Now, you guys... Before we get into the project you're in right now, taking on public sector unions, let our listeners know a little bit about the Freedom Foundation. Yeah, the Freedom Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit uh, think tank, and I use the word think tank in quotation marks because I see what we do as an action tank. We do one thing and we battle and combat government unions. Uh, we do that in a couple of ways. One of them is we help and assist 
educate every public sector worker that we can and let them know that they can leave their union. And the other thing is we have uh, attorneys on staff and we sue unions. Um, we have a full litigation team and they have over 60 cases today, all dedicated at uh, government unions. Now, it's, it's a curious conversation when you talk about the, the public sector unions versus the, the private unions, private sector unions. You know, you've got the right to work movement mm -hmm. and you're seeing, say, pick a state like Indiana. You've got automotive plants that are unionized in Indiana and they, they, uh, workers there have a, an option to pull out of the union. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of intimidation tactics when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, are you getting feedback from public sector unions? Because we're not talking about the Teamsters here or, you know, the, the UAW. Uh, is there that kind of intimidation going on with public sector unions? Oh, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, especially in a, what we call a post-Janus world where now every public sector worker has right-to-work protections, meaning they have the ability to go out and opt out of stop-paying union dues. This is brand new to them. They've only had that option for the past couple of years, just under. Um, and the intimidation is huge. These people are being approached in their workplaces practically daily, uh, being asked to sign new membership cards and recommit to the union. And in fact, very recently, we've had multiple instances of people's signatures being forged. I mean, people are leaving union, public sector unions in such large droves um, that unions are actually and shop stewards are being forced to forge these people's signatures to get them to be able to steal money from them. That's that's amazing and not surprising at the same time. Now, can you talk a little bit about some of the, maybe the confusion between private sector right to work, where you could pull out of the union in, in certain states, versus if you're a federal employee, yes. that's a, a, a union play. How does that work? Can a federal employee pull out of a, a, a job, a union, or excuse me, a union in a right-to-work state? Yeah, so a federal employee can actually leave the union wherever they work in the, in the country. Um, and now after Janus, the U.S. Supreme Court decision, every public sector worker can leave their unions. So when we're talking about right to work today, what we're really talking about is the private sector ability to go out and leave their unions. And in, in a lot of states, you can do that. But in states, take the West Coast, for example, Oregon, Washington, California, you cannot leave, as a private sector employee, you cannot opt out of paying union dues in any of those states. Um, we would, of course, support that, but our focus is entirely on public sector workers today. Now, what about policemen and firemen? They're, they're, are you guys going after their unions as well? So we don't target them primarily, and the reason being is take a local um, law enforcement union. What they tend to do is they tend to take union dues from police officers, but they spend most of those dues to actually represent them, provide them with benefits. I would actually use them as a model for public sector unions. They spend very little in politics. The only things they really support is initiatives for more local police funding. And shoot, I'm not going to argue that law enforcement doesn't need more resources. Right. Um, so we don't primarily target them. They do have the rights to opt out of leave their union if they desire. But what we're talking about is the big political public sector unions, the SEIUs, the AFSMEs, the NEA, the Teachers Union. Um, we're primarily targeting those uh, unions and helping their members leave the, those unions. 
Aaron With of the Freedom Foundation is joining us on the Snark Factor on WAMP Talk 1600. Can you talk a little bit about union representation on a federal level? Because I have a couple of family members who are TSA employees, and the way they make it sound, it, it sounds like a complete scam, that they really aren't getting union representation, and yet they pay union dues. Yeah, every union is different, I'll say that, but take the TSA union that they're in, for example, they don't spend much on politics, but frankly, from I, I uh, reiterate your comments, they don't do a lot. Um, so they're paying these union dues and not really receiving any kind of service. The way that we would like a union to operate is that they provide benefits that outweigh the cost of membership, just like a trade association, uh, just like other types of organi- uh, membership organizations that we see in the private sector. That's not the case with public sector unions. And the way I describe it to people is a public sector union, their biggest interest is in it, uh, expanding the size of government. Because when you have more public employees, you can take more money from more people. The way that they do that is they buy political races so they will increase the politicians, the liberal politicians will go into uh, state legislatures and Congress and they will uh, increase taxes for the purposes of growing government. That's the way they make money. Well, union membership has been on the decline for decades now, but a lot of people who don't pay close enough attention to what's going on, don't realize just how powerful unions still are lobbying federal and state legislators. We're seeing the the war on the gig economy in California. Uh, What kind of reaction are you getting from elected officials with this this pushback against public sector unions? Public sector... Officials that are not supported by government unions are very much supportive of it because they see how big and bad uh, these government unions are. I mean, just two days ago, Yahoo published an article uh, saying that government unions have committed to spend $150 million to get Trump out of the White House. That's extreme power, and it's extreme support that, uh, frankly, goes unrivaled by any other group uh, in the private sector. So. Their influence is significant, and that's why we do what we do, is to make sure that this power does not go unchecked as it has done for so long. The people who are concerned about this particular issue, what can they do to find out more information on your movement, and how can they support you? The first thing I'd say to people is if you know a government worker, let them know that they can leave their union. Send them to optouttoday.com. That is our website uh, that will help public employees uh, leave their union. Uh, And for If if you don't know people that are in government unions and want support and want updates on what we're doing, freedomfoundation.com is the place to go. Subscribe to all our social media and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We're always looking for increased support because I believe that if you remove the influence of government unions from the political cycle, we'll have a level playing field for conservatives all over the country. Aaron With of the Freedom Foundation, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. More of the Snark Factor on Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM right after this. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Snark Factor podcast on Apple Podcasts and find it on TuneIn and Fireside. Harvey Weinstein's going to jail. Yeah! Welcome back to the Snark Factor. I'm Figures Malloy, Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM, and... We are at CPAC 2020, Washington, D.C. It is hopping. People are everywhere. And a guy who gets the kids today, (laughs) he understands them. Brandon Morse of Red State. 
He's down with the youth, as I, I, uh, would say. I just turned 36. I'm not sure if I can qualify as being down with those damn millennials and, and Gen Zers anymore, well, man. When you're pushing 50, you th don't, 36 is a kid. Hey, you don't look a day over 62, Thank my friend. Thank you. It's the nicest thing anyone said to me in the last three minutes. <laughs> so, Brandon, you are someone that I've known for, it must be 10 years now, it feels yeah, like. Yeah, just about, yeah. And you've always been passionate about the right engaging pop culture, the culture in general. Yeah. And has anything improved at all? Because to me, I, I still see people who, uh, on the right, who are either commentators, uh, you know, the writers, and they're proud to say, well, you kids watch what you want to. I'm going to watch a MASH rerun. Yeah. Uh, have things improved? You know what? Yes, it has improved by miles, but that's like saying, you know, hey, great job. You've walked two miles, and now you still have to trek across the whole state of Texas still. Yeah. Um, it's definitely going to be an uphill battle, but I have seen a lot of improvements. I've, I've really enjoyed looking at the way many celebrities have come out and have been way more engaging when it comes to ideas that typically wouldn't fit into the Hollywood structure. Um, you have people like Chris Pratt coming out, and like he's he's super proud to be a, an American and a conservative and, and a Christian and stuff like that. He, he doesn't hide it. Um, and then you have like the the social justice warriors trying to lash out at different filmmakers, and then they're getting mad and lashing back, just like Todd Phillips did, the Joker uh, director. You know, the, the social justice warriors, of course, whenever they were releasing Joker, were trying to convince everybody that this is going to be a film where you know it promotes white you know uh white sadness or whatever you know incels to come out and like take revenge and yada 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 and they were trying to convince people not to go see this movie they did it because they thought it was like a celebration of how white people are actually oppressed and it wasn't it's the story of a comic book villain who you know this is why he went crazy you know that's all it was uh, but they came after the film they came after Joaquin uh, Phillips and uh, not uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips, and both of them clapped back. And it was good to see that. They, they clapped back at it in such a way they're like, this PC culture has got to go, and this is ridiculous, this cancel culture stuff is stupid. Let's get rid of it. You know, it's, it's interfering with our art, and I agree with that. And well, I'm happy to see that, that that's being more common. That's happening more and more nowadays. Well, you, you, you heard from outside of L.A. of groups like Friends of Abe, you know, uh, where, oh, they're, they're closeted conservatives and you can't really, they don't really talk about it. And, yeah. But you, it, with this cancel culture now, people are, like you said, there is now becoming more and more of a resistance and pushback to it, to where people are saying, Tell, this is who I am and if you don't yeah. like it, too bad. And it's 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 quite refreshing. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean... Cancel culture has existed in Hollywood for a really long time, but I'm happy to see nowadays that they're finding out that if you go, if you get woke, you go broke. People don't want to show up to your stupid lefty, you know, propagandistic movie where you know it's an all-female remake where they take on the bad men, the patriarchy, they bring down the patriarchy. No one wants to watch this movie. I'm sorry. How many times you're gonna to have to remake the same movie, whether it be the 2016 Ghostbusters or Charlie's Angels, which I know that's not an all-female remake, but kinda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the Ocean's Eleven, or Ocean's, I, what was it, this, Ocean's Eight, you know? Um, all of these movies keep flopping. Um, anything that has that social justice message just doesn't sell. And they're quickly learning, well, not quick enough, but they're quickly learning that this stuff is just not what Americans want to see. And it's not because we're 
sexist. It's not because we're racist. It's not because we're bigoted. It's because what you're trying to do is sell propaganda, not stories. You're, you're trying to push a political message on us, not entertain us. That's not why we're here. Right. And that's slowly catching on, and I think many directors are starting to learn that lesson if they didn't already know it, and are, are starting to turn the, the environment around. So I'm happy to see stuff like, you know, John Krasinski in 13 Hours and Gal Gadot, she's about to make a movie about a Christian woman who saved a bunch of Jewish kids from the Nazis, you know? This is great stuff that's coming out that would normally defy, defy the Hollywood narrative. Brandon Morse of Red State is joining us on the Snark Factor. And, you know, Brandon, we, for years... Going to conferences like this, yeah, you would have conservative artists, conservative authors, conservative filmmakers, yeah, and they would push their whatever product that they were pushing. And the theme was it was like you said earlier, propaganda. Yeah, the the effective art, the effective entertainment. If you want to have a political message, the first thing that the thing needs to be is entertaining. Exactly. And too often what you'd see on the right, and I, I'm sure you've witnessed a lot of it going oh, to yeah. all this stuff, is, hey, I'm a right-winger, and I want you to have my CD, and it's uh, ten tracks, and it's the Bill of Rights, and you're going <laughs> to love it. And exactly. don't you think that what's wrong is people need to be subtle about the message yeah. and the art has to be good that needs exactly. to be the key the way that i've always described it to people is like look get involved in the arts first and then trust me your values will come through later um you know the, the subtle the, it's the subtle message that really gets to the core of who you are and what makes makes you it changes your heart and that's what you have to affect if you really want to change someone's mind is you have to first hit their heart all right this is hollywood is very good at this they've been good at this for a very long time they've been passing messages that sell an idea so well that it has shifted our entire culture and i don't i don't want to hear anybody talking about how well hollywood has just left us i'll never pay attention to them anymore it doesn't matter if you don't because right. everyone else does right and our culture shifts because of it and we have been absent from this battlefield for a very long time and it's about time that we get back into it but the first thing we need to do is ditch the idea that we need to inject conservative politics into any kind of art that you make just make art just go out there and tell an interesting story all right if, if i have to use like one of the best examples that conservatives are going to follow look at what jesus did whenever he went out all right he had a message that was very specific he he went out there and he knew what he you knew what he was about but he told you a story right he told you a story and it, and it it was an allegory it all it could it could be a standalone story by itself but it made you think you know it really affected the way that you view the world and that's what we need to do first is look at the story that we're trying to tell people. And if you just focus on that story, trust me, your politics, your, your, your values are going to shine through in that story. If it's good enough, it's going to start affecting the way that people see the world around them. Kurt okay. Schlichter is here. Uh, Bob Crane. There it was. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and unfortunately, we have to end it right there. Brand, where can everyone find all things Brandon Morse? Hey, go to redstate.com. Uh, you know, hey, I'm at the Brandon Morse on Twitter. Uh, yeah, just look me up. I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere and nowhere. He's everywhere indeed. Back with more from CPAC 2020 on Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM, right after this. Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM. It's a Snark Factor. I'm Fingers Malloy, and we are still here at CPAC 2020. We're winding down, starting to get a little bit quieter here, and very happy to have joining us right now at the Wham table, Charles Sauer, who is with the Market Institute. Welcome, Charles. 
Thanks for having me on. Okay, so I'm hearing that there is going to be an attempt to have federal price controls in health care. Tell us about what's going on. Well, it's called surprise medical billing, and that's what Congress is looking at uh, trying to solve the problem. And everybody involved in healthcare believes there's a problem in surprise medical billing. It's just that the problem is, is Congress doesn't want to put in the work, as we all know, right? Congress Congress isn't exactly like the, the most work-dedicated group in the world. They don't want to take responsibility for decisions. And so what they're doing is just saying, well, let's just set the price. And they're not even really doing that. They're going to let the insurance companies set the price because they don't even want to take the responsibility <laughs> for doing it. And so that's the scary thing. And that we all know that price setting is bad. We, price setting causes gas lines. Price setting causes supply shortages. Um, but when Congress does something and lets an outside group set the prices, that even gets worse. And they're doing that under the guise of, federal regulations. And the the doctors have their own solutions. I don't even care what the solution is for solving surprise medical billing. The problem in general is that the system's broken because of government health care. But when we start talking about health care, it really needs to be something that gets us the doctor-patient relationship, something that you have free markets that decide what's going on. And with the government involved in the way that it is in health care, Um, with uh, price subsidies for employer insurance, that doctor-patient relationship is broken. And so we're going to continue to have bad bills unless we address some of the underlying concerns. I mean, healthcare costs have been exploding for for years. And I'm not a big federal regulation guy. But one of the things I think I would like to see is something similar to nutritional values that you see at restaurants, except with prices. Where, where you can actually see before you go in what you're going to be paying for at a doctor's office or, or, or things like that. Do you think that we need a more customer-focused relationship when it comes to healthcare where you're, you're going to see people shop around? I'm going to call one person for a flu shot and I'll, it, 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 someone's, yep. it's cheaper somewhere else. Wouldn't that help bring the prices down? So it would help, but there's a there's a question when you, when you use some of the words in there, I don't know exactly where you're you're going when you say do we need I would say I don't know if we need but it's what we deserve and but what the the way to get that is through the free market so you don't get there from a federal regulation there's not a federal regulation that uh, can't that a 7-eleven needs to put a price under a Snickers bar right but they do it because if for some reason you're at a 7-eleven and a Snickers bar costs five dollars you're not gonna buy the Snickers bar there you're gonna go to another uh, store down the street you're gonna go to quick trip and buy your Snickers bar for 99 cents. Um, in healthcare, that's the way it should be too. But patients are now only paying about uh, 10% of their uh, healthcare bills. And so they aren't really price um, uh, reflective or elastic on, on what they're doing. And so what we see though in healthcare in Oklahoma, there's a guy, Keith Smith, he runs the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. And in about 2010, he posted his prices online. And what's interesting about that, he posted they were about 10% of what the local nonprofit hospital was charging their patients. You would think that that would flood his doors with patients, but it didn't. And it didn't start flooding his doors until a, a, a TPA, a third-party administrator, somebody who runs self-insured businesses, noticed these prices 
and actually brought them. And now Keith is making money hand over fist and this TPA is making money hand over fist. And more than that though, from 2010 to today, uh, the third party administrator is now seeing 800 free market cases and that's prices are disclosed. It's a bundled payment where they know the price up front and he's not doing it just with Keith Smith in Oklahoma. There's now more than 40 surgery centers because as Keith Smith started doing this and his doors were flooded with people, that was money that was coming from other nonprofit hospitals and other surgery centers, and that was hurting their bottom line. So that's the way we get price transparency is by competition and by innovation. And the healthcare system doesn't currently support a lot of that. I believe it was 2012. I was here at CPAC and someone had on display a stack of papers that represented Obamacare. Yep. And it was nine feet tall. Yeah. Can yeah. you kind of talk about how regulations like that drive up the cost of healthcare? Well, the more regulations you have, the uh, the harder things get, and therefore the more layers get put in between the patient and the doctor. So we don't even need to talk about what was in that huge pile, because what we know is when we go to the doctor's office, there's that front desk, and they have a dizzying amount of paperwork, and that takes somebody to file. When the normally when you see a doctor, uh, you everybody knows about codes and the coding that it takes for the doctor. Well, then they have staff behind the scenes that help make sure that they're filing the right codes. And then beyond that, they hire uh, contractors that help them make sure that they're filing the codes that are most efficient for payment. And so that's where the more layers that we get, the denser that regulation gets, the more consultants come in and become another layer in the system that don't make care better and don't make uh, care cheaper, but they make care... Um, I don't know, more profitable for the people in the middle. And that's what we really see regulations in healthcare doing. And that's, again, really why we have these surprise medical billing issues. This is a fight between um, doctors and insurers. Insurers are able to hide behind some regulations on how they pay hospitals and how they pay other things. And so now this business fight uh, and a relationship breakdown between doctors and physicians has moved into federal regulation and the insurers happen to have better lobbyists. So that's why they're pushing the solution they are. Charles Sauer, uh, president of the Market Institute, is joining us on WAM Talk 1600. Uh, Charles, if you could have a wish list, two or three things coming out of Washington that could maybe not bring, like cut health care costs, but at least slow the this yearly increase. What are two or three things you'd like to see Washington do? You know, what? what's kind, of, wish list. What's kind of interesting when I think about that, when I, I, I talk to Keith Smith all the time, and um, he's really scared when he comes to Washington, D.C., that they're going to take his ideas and his approach and attempt to put them into federal legislation. And so a lot of times I just want Congress to know that there's stuff moving in the free market and that it's currently growing at a speed that if they don't do anything, because the Obamacare broke the system so bad that entrepreneurs are now solving it. So um, to get back to and answer your question though, um, health savings accounts, where we give more money into the patient's pocket and help restore the doctor-patient relationship, um, block grants to get money out of D.C. and back to the states, and then also we need um, just less government. We need, look, 
Obamacare tried to expand Medicaid. Medicaid wasn't serving the population that it correctly that it was designed to serve. Um, you don't have to support Medicaid if you support. Uh, uh, at least efficient government programs, they should focus on serving the population that they're supposed to serve before expanding it and therefore serving less people in the expanded um, event as well. So, again, HSAs, get government out of health care, uh, whatever. Stay, stay, stay quiet. Just sit on their hand. Before we let you go, let people know more about the Market Institute. So we're a free market healthcare uh, and intellectual property think tank. We work on those issues specifically and dabble in a little bit of taxes and energy, but we try to bring the Main Street entrepreneur up to Capitol Hill. So go out and talk to the garage inventors, go out and um, talk to the entrepreneurs that are changing uh, America and try to see if Capitol Hill can recognize what they are. So that's uh, Market Institute. We have uh, Twitter, YouTube, and uh, really trying to you know, change the way that free market ideas are communicated. And check them out over at marketinstitute.org. Charles Sauer, the president of the Market Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Back with more from CPAC 2020 on Wham Talk 1600 AM, 92.7 FM, right after this. This is SD Cup. You're listening to the Snark Factor with Fingers Malloy. You've made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Buttigieg is a moderate. <laughs> that's, it's like you're trying to hurt me. <laughs> that's that's the narrative. Welcome back to the Snark Factor. I'm Fingers Malloy. Tony Katz of Tony Katz and the Morning News on 93 WIBC and Tony Katz Today, which is syndicated, is joining us right now. And, you know, you seem to be the go-to guy on Fox News when it comes to Pete Buttigieg. Right? What a thing. <laughs> That's your wheelhouse. You know? I also know how to bake bread. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, have, I have other skill sets. Well, will, will you bury this narrative right now for me that Pete Buttigieg is a moderate? A moderate? Yeah. Uh, here, uh, allow me to try and do this in a way that everybody can understand. Pete Buttigieg is not... <laughs> Wait for it. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. This is, I've been working on this. A moderate. <laughs> it's that was so, really deep. It is so ridiculous and so shameful. There's this great video out of him clearly stealing the lines from Barack Obama. It's amazing. Lines. It's unbelievable. And you just realize that everything about him is, is fake. Everything about him is made for TV. He, in the debate in Charleston, he referred to himself as unflappable. Who does that? Who does that? But he believes in all the same policies that Bernie Sanders believes. So Bernie wants Medicare for all. He wants, Judge wants Medicare for all who want it. But said on a stage that if the private insurance companies can't keep up with the new rules to still be private insurance companies, they'll go out of business. And he says, you know what? I don't care. So what's the difference between him and Bernie? It's a question of how fast they get to the place. Bernie is at least honest about it. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is a coward about it. He's a made-for-TV guy. He's just not made for the Oval Office. <laughs> nice. See what I did there? Yes, I nice. see what you did. And, that that's, and, nice. and that's why they put me on Fox. I'm telling you. Because <laughs> I could do the whole thing and then boom. Right, right there. Dig it in at the end. As, the, as a person who has made a point to maintain relationships with all of my super leftist, progressive, socialist, commie friends, all of them are saying the same thing. He's like the next Obama. I like this guy. 
he reminds me of Obama. And I'm just going, like, are you all really that simple? Is it that easy for you to just be like, oh, he sounds pretty, so I'm going to go ahead and vote for him. I like the way he talks. Right. No, no, no. Turns out if you've got that Muppet quality in your voice. (laughs) People are (laughs) into that, possible. You know, and listen, he's an easy guy to make fun of because of of the look. I I don't want to make fun of his voice. I don't want to make fun of his, his look. I want to talk about what he believes in and what he believes in is of no value to us. And if you don't want to listen to me, listen to the people of South Bend who will tell you that he was no leader. There is a reverend who I've never met named Sylvester Williams who back this past summer, so almost a year ago, was doing interviews with NPR saying that Pete Buttigieg has no heart. He isn't invested in this city. He's been saying it again. I mean, this stuff is cut to the bone kind of stuff that talks about the man Pete Buttigieg is. I don't speak of him as a husband. I don't know him as a friend. I'm talking about as a, as a political leader and as a thought leader, he doesn't have it. Well, the other thing, too, that I find creepy about him, and I think you should always be wary of people like this, is when you feel like this person has wanted to be president of the United States since they were 13 years old and they were, they're, they've been crafting their entire life. Every to, decision, ev- everything. Yeah, to yep. be able to run for president of the United States, that, that to me is, is a little off-putting and creepy. 100%. Um, I don't. I'm not. A, do you think that's what he did? Do you think everything? It sure feels that way. Everything is calculated, and uh, it's it's very possible that he wanted to have some kind of quote unquote public service and move his his agenda and his ideology through. I, I had not thought about it in 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 that way. I think the thing that is is creepy about him is that he doesn't know he's wrong. <laughs> you know, like at some moment you're supposed to realize, oh wait a second, these are terrible ideas. And he hasn't, he hasn't realized it yet. So it just proves that you've got him and you've got Rachel Maddow. What's the point of being a Rhodes Scholar? What, 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 what value could this possibly, possibly bring? Well, isn't this, though, also an indictment on the Democratic Party that it has moved so far to the left that the idea, if you don't get up on stage and proclaim that you are for Medicare for all and we're going to force people to go into Medicare, if, if, if you just take a, a quarter step back from that, that people will say, oh, he's clearly a moderate. Right. He's, he's, a, he's a Republican. There right. were people on Twitter saying of Pete Buttigieg when he was calling out Bernie Sanders for uh, praising Castro, Pete Buttigieg is a Republican. But this party has gone so, this party has gone so far left, they think Obamacare is centrist. Yeah. Eight years. When you, when you think about Obamacare, it was the most left thing that ever happened. And now it, when Klobuchar talks about it, it's the centrist position. It's not a centrist position. I'm not moving right. those goalposts. The answer is no. Well, you see the blue checkmark smart set on the left. There are many of them. If you see their social media feeds, they will make comments like, oh, well, Obama governed like a Republican president. Right. Yeah. Are you kidding me? This is why the Bernie Sanders thing is so dangerous. These are true believers. Understand this. Progressive voters, Bernie voters, will not vote for a quote-unquote moderate. They will not vote for Biden. They will not vote for Buttigieg. They will not vote for Klobuchar. They will stay home. They will stay home. So if the party does not pick Bernie, all those Bernie supporters will not show up. They would rather burn it down. And and they will burn it down if if, if they believe that Bernie... 
should have gotten the nomination, and the DNC and the Democratic establishment did everything possible and they did. to rip it away from No, right. they yeah. didn't do everything possible. They did it. They stole it from them in 2016. Right. And they're going to they, try to do it again. They will totally try and do it again. And yes, Milwaukee, where the DNC will be, the Democratic National Convention, it's going to be a dangerous place. It's going to be a dangerous place. So it's fun trying to speculate in February what's going to happen. Does, does Bernie get the nomination, or do you think it's a brokered convention? I have, I have long thought it's going to be a contested convention. And I still don't know why I wouldn't think that at this moment. Um, I think that you have uh, great opportunities for still some divides. I don't ever, ever count out Mike Bloomberg's money. Um, I'm still not convinced that anybody has to drop, you know, as, as, as we talk now, you know, before Super Tuesday. and Maybe after Super Tuesday, we'll see some things happen. Uh, but I have no reason to think that, that Bernie is a, yet a runaway. And he may claim that he's got the most delegates going to the convention, therefore he should have the nomination. That's not the way it works. And the superdelegate story is the story of the Democrats. When Hillary stole it from Bernie, the fix was, was that superdelegates don't get a vote until the second ballot. So now no superdelegates. You will get to a second ballot to which everybody is now free and clear to do what they want. Bring on your white knights. Bring on your Hillarys. If you're seeing Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, is now starting to make the rounds. Everybody, He's a ballerina. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, he I studied ballet. Honestly, got, I didn't know he even had that much athleticism. <laughs> um, and ballerinas have serious athleticism, mm-hmm. which is they to sure say do. he's a weak-looking dude. Uh, expect everything come July in Milwaukee. Where can everyone find all things Tony Katz? Uh, you can find them at fingersmalloy.com. <laughs> fingersmalloy.com is where you find everything Tony Katz, the Eat, Drink, Smoke podcast with Fingers Malloy because he doesn't do enough podcasts. Uh, I'm people. the king of small media. I, you are. <laughs> and may I say, I like that you bring your own water bottle. Thank and you. And you look very masculine when you suck from right? it. I, 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 I find it very sensual for the people walking by to see me sucking on a straw like that. Gives it a little extra. Yeah. A little something, something. Right, exactly. Yep. That's Tony Katz. Thanks, Tony. I feel awkward. More of the snark factor from CPAC 2020 right after this. Need more fingers in your life? I bet you do. Find fingers on Twitter at twitter.com slash fingersmalloy. So Democratic leaders are willing to risk party damage to stop Bernie Sanders. According to the New York Times, interviews with dozens of Democratic Party officials, including 93 superdelegates, found overwhelming opposition to handing uh, Mr. Sanders the nomination if he fell short of a majority of delegates. Matt Vespa. Mm-hmm. Ask me some popcorn with this one. <laughs> Dem- oh, yeah. Democratic blood sports. Yes. The best. <laughs> the best. You just got to love it. Um... This is so, like, I feel like it's like looking in the mirror in a sense, because this is, this is us in 2016. It was a crowded field. There was an anti-establishment juggernaut. The establishment was freaking out. Um, and Bernie's unstoppable right now. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I know there's a mama poll that has uh, Biden up by double digits, but I think, uh, I think he's going to clean up in, in Texas and, and California on Super Tuesday, which are the two big enchiladas for the terms of delegate allocation for the Democratic uh, primaries. And... After that, he might get a, a delicately that's insurmountable. So um, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's doing well with Latino voters. The Latino outreach operation that Sanders has is excellent, and uh, which is kind of freaks me out a little bit because right now the, the Sanders coalition is forming, and it looks like young people, Latinos, and union workers. And for uh, people who don't, you know, remember the Obama days, that's that coalition. Yeah. And we be 
tried twice and we failed vi- miserably. We failed like never before beating that coalition. There very, it is. Very good coalition. Very that one. Very good. Um, there it is. The, the famous Matt Vespa, Donald but, Trump imitation. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, they, they don't know what to do. And you know, if you see Rahm Emanuel saying, "Well, if there's a moderate." And, you know, the voters can call us around and we can stop Sanders. Well, first of all, there's, there's no moderate running in the Democratic Party. They're all it's it's a, it's it's like it's a competition between different shades of Bernie and a hard in hardcore liberals like right. Klobuchar is just as left wing. Buttigieg, they say Edgeage <laughs> is just as uh, left wing. And uh, and uh, you know, Biden's left wing. I mean, he's a you know, cr- you know crusty old guy now, but you know, you know, he's, he's still left wing. So it's just Bloomberg's left wing. So it's it's not they're all not going to drop out either because. First of all, I mean this is pol- this is national politics. Everyone right. has an ego that, that that can fit the size of the uh, the ballroom here. No one wants to no one wants to drop out because right. I don't think they can win. So, I mean, Warren even said today she's going to fight to the death. She's going to fight like you know crazy horse, you know sitting bull, you know battle a little bighorn. She's going to you know I am not until I get scalped, my fa- until my fake Indian heritage gets scalped. I am not. I'm going to go all the way to convention. I mean, we'll see if she has enough money to do so. But, but we, we were just talking about this with Tony uh, Katz. And yeah. it's really an indictment of the Democratic Party when yeah. there, could, there could be an, a narrative going around that Pete Buttigieg is a moderate. <laughs> yeah. It just shows how far yeah. left yeah. The, the, the Democratic yeah. Party is moving. It is. And it's, it's, kind of, it's very, I mean, not only that, I mean, you saw that with, like, just on abortion. I mean, I've never, what is with their fetish with late-term abortion recently? I mean, in New it's, York, in Virginia, it's just like, what is going on? And, um... Yeah, you see that with taxes. You see that with you know with you know now, now with Bernie, you know being you know the front runner now. I mean, it's it's legitimate. It's it's solidified. The it, it's now a decidedly left wing party. I, Barack Obama probably couldn't be nominated if, <laughs> if he ran in twenty twenty. I mean, that was just twelve years ago, right? With I mean, with his positions yeah. in, in two thousand eight. Yeah, uh, of course yeah. he would. Uh, Adapt. Oh yeah, he would. Uh, he eventually did. But like the like, for example, like gay marriage. Like remember, when it was, it was he did that round table with Melissa Etheridge. You know, I'll, I'm not for gay marriage, but I'm for stronger civil unions. Just like, oh, that's oh. canceled. Canceled. Barack yep. Obama's a homophobe. Canceled. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. Among other things. I mean, even I mean, John Edwards, who was a, a boob to begin with, but even he wouldn't have made it that far. Um, it's just. This this is where we are, uh, and you know all the more reason why uh, on our side, you know we need to stop this never never Trump debate nonsense. The man is president; he won four years ago. Let's just focus on win getting him reelected. Because if you care about conservative issues, you're gonna you're gonna vote for Donald Trump. So he's eighty five percent of his agenda is what conservative Republicans have supported for decades. So I don't understand why I, we're still having this like this. Fake debate, but, but are we? Well, there's a certain other conference happening this yes, weekend, but it's that would it's, be nameless. Yeah. But you know, I'm not well, talking the, about yeah, yeah, the, like the, twenty people yeah, there. 20 or people there. there. Like, yeah, the, the, the true conservatives. Yeah. But you look at polling numbers. Yeah, Trump has ninety to ninety-five percent yeah. of the Republicans who are considered people who consider themselves Republicans yes. supporting him. Yeah, but the the, the question is when. When it comes to Republicans, in my mind, what they need to do, if there is a Bernie Sanders nomination, mm-hmm. and yeah. if, if if there is a huge defeat in November to mm-hmm. where the Republicans take over the House, yes. and they get this, they hold the Senate, and yeah. they have the White House, yeah. they need to take a page out of the playbook of Virginia Democrats. Mm-hmm. 
and just try to force as many as things yeah. in yeah. two years yeah. through as yeah. possible. Yeah. Now, but the question is, will they be that aggressive? The, the, the Republicans, yeah. if that happens. Um, well, with with Mitch McConnell in the Senate, I am I'm, I am not worried on that front. He is he is he's changed the courts. I mean, that's one of the underreports. I mean, he has really helped. You know, the, the Ninth Circuit, which was like you know communist, you know Cuba communism over there has flipped i mean haven't you noticed that there's no more national injunctions being you know you know right. you know tossed tossed in the mix because you know, we've changed the courts um in the house i don't i, I don't know because uh, i don't know you know who's going to be speaker you know is there going to be a, a fight with that uh, i would guess yes though I, I i mean i'm not like not confident that that, that they would find someone who would be like you know a go-getter and like let's, let's get all the all of our radical policy agenda items of lower taxes, less regulations, fewer regulations, and more jobs through. <laughs> you, you brought up cocaine, Mitch. Cocaine, yes. and, and yes, and Speaking I think we of cocaine, have, yes, we have to give credit where credit is due mm-hmm. because listen, he has been a punching bag for many people yeah. on the right for yes. a long time. Yes. Oh, he's kind of a squish. He's not going to yeah. follow through when we feel like he needs to follow through. Yeah. He's been he's been solid. Yes, yes. The last I, mean, I think years. you know. I mean, 2013 was when like the squ- he's a squish. Yeah, criticism was at its height. Yeah, and then you know Merrick Garland he's like you know you're not getting a nominee. you know you're not getting a hearing. <laughs> right, like right. for a, over a year he held he held his you know, he held and we all line. thought he was going to cave. Yeah, no? any day, any no. day now. At that point, I remember it. every day being yeah. like today's the day. Today's the Mitch day. is going to like. And cave. then we he held did. it. We got mm-hmm. two. Yeah, we got uh, Gorsuch in. And then uh, now he's like, well, if, if there is another vacancy this this year, we're gonna fill it. I just I just love it. Yeah. yeah. So I because mean, he's doing everything yeah. that Chuck Schumer would do. Yeah. He's doing everything yeah. that Harry Reid would have done. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, Harry Reid yeah. would have done the exact same thing yeah. if situations were reversed, and would say, oh yeah, if, yeah. if, if a, a nominee comes up this year, yeah. we, we're, we're gonna vote we're gonna on it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. So he's doing everything that yeah. the Democrats would do, and yeah. and and people on our side are saying, finally. Yeah. Finally, we're playing by their rules. Yeah, enough with the. You know, I mean, it, I know it's uh, kind of stale to say, but it gets tired losing all the time. I mean, I'm just I'm a diehard New York Giants fan. All right, we've been losing for a long time. You're you're, just you're, you're on Southeast Michigan <laughs> yeah, radio, so uh, oh, the, you know the Lions. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. yeah, yeah exactly. Sorry about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No Lions yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, listen, in 2016, you 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 routed the Packers out of this. <laughs> but going back to the the, the never Trump thing, uh, yeah. Matt Vespa from Town Hall is joining us on the Snark Factor. Uh, I find it fascinating that you have people mm-hmm. who will yell, "My principles, yeah. my principles." Yeah. I can't vote for Trump because of my principles, oh, and I think to yeah. myself, these are the same people yeah. that would share. The Miss Me Yet meme with George W. Bush, he created an entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. Medicare Part D. We still have not paid for that yet. And it added trillions to the unfunded liability to the welfare state. I mean, it's just, you know, Bush spent a lot of money. All right. Yeah. He did. I mean, I, I would obviously still, you know, vote for Bush if he were able to run again. But it, it's, it, this purity, it, listen, you just don't like Trump. Let's yeah. cut the BS. Right. You just don't like Trump. Right. Um, it, my principles. Well, I mean, look. Through, I mean, I get it. Okay, oh, the tariffs. The tariffs. What did the tariffs do? It got us a renegotiated trade deal with China. Phase two is being negotiated as we speak. I know the world's on fire with Corona right now, but I mean, <laughs> there, there are. I mean, that their talks are happening. It was a bargaining tool 
meant to bring the Chinese to the table. Because, and it worked. Yeah, because it after, worked. Because for two generations, they they we just we, we sit, we talk, all, you know, all talk, no action <laughs> on China. So well, it got it got, you know, I mean, and it, it plays so well in states like Michigan, yeah, where you have a large manufacturing base mm-hmm. and people go to work and they they yeah. just want. That, uh, a sense of fairness. Yeah. And when you see your product going to China and getting a huge tariff slapped on it, yeah. and, and tons of goods from China just dumped in the United States, and, yeah. and you have the argument from many on the right, well, just free trade, bitches. Yeah. It's it, it doesn't yeah. play it well. Doesn't. And and you know what? I think that's something about you know the disconnect between the, the you know base and the and the party leadership. It goes both ways with both Democrats and Republicans. If you look at a, I think it was a YouGov poll, all a pundit over on Hot Air wrote about it last year or a year and a half ago. Both Democrats and Republicans are virtually the same when it comes to trade. They are not free trade, right? Rah rah anymore. It is we want a little more protections. We want fair trade deals, and you know the parties, the party leaders up here in this in this swamp. They're all about, you know, the, what the business conservatives want, which is very free trade. You know, and, and, you know, NAFTA. Um, Trump has delivered on more jobs, fair trade deals, and, and you know, fear ta- you know, lower taxes. And I think that's, I think voters in Michigan are, are going to remember that. They are. They are remembering I, that. I, remember I, that. I, I, write it down. Yeah. If the Democrats nominate Sanders, don't yeah. be surprised if the the VP pick is the governor of Michigan. Yeah, Michigan. Yeah, you got you got to pick somebody oh, that they got they got to peel yeah. one of the. Uh, I call her governor. Uh, I fix potholes because I right, felt because exactly. her because her State of the Union response was a lot about how they fix potholes. Well, that's <laughs> and, and they haven't. <laughs> and they haven't. <laughs> and, right, and they never probably never will. Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Wh- yeah, there Whitmer. Go. Whit- yeah, Whitmer. Whitmer. Yeah, Whitmer. Yeah. So, it, uh, I mean, is she is she a draw? I mean, I, I would think that you would have to pick like Kamala Harris or something. Well, really I mean, but, but, I mean, I, the thing is, though, that's great. I mean, set me on fire now. Just saying. I, I know that the, right. the like, balancing no, of the yeah. ticket isn't as important as it used yeah. to be. But I mean, if you need a Wisconsin, a Michigan, a Pennsylvania, yeah. you, you may look to someone like that. Matt, where can everyone find your work? You can find me at townhall.com along with all the other uh, writers at Town Hall, Guy Benson, Courtney O'Brien, uh, Katie Pavlich, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at mvespa1. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Thank Matt. Thank you. It's great. Thanks, Matt. And that's it for us here at CPAC. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week with another Snark Factor. I'm Fingers. She's Sarah. This is Wham Talk, 1600 AM, 92.7 FM.